you may have heard the story of the time management seminar that happened one time, and the presenter um, took a um, pitcher like this and uh, filled the pitcher up with rocks. And then um, he asked the participants in the seminar, is this pitcher full? Is this, jar of rock is this jar full? And they said, yeah, it's full of rocks. And I'm going to need a volunteer at this point. Uh, yeah, come on up, Doug. So then after they'd said that, he pulled out a bunch of smaller rocks and he started pouring them into the jar. Now what I need you to do here as I pour these in is just shake, shake them down, okay? Boy, we can get a lot more rocks in here. I guess it wasn't so full after all. Never mind the mess, we'll clean it up later. All right, so, um, thanks, that's great. So he, he, he filled it up with these little rocks, again to the top, like I've almost done here. And again, he asked, is, oh, Doug, you can stay up here. Sorry, we've got a couple more. Um, so again, he asked, is it full? And they said, yeah, now it's full. So then he pulled out a bunch of sand. So then he started pouring sand into the jar. Shook it around. Right up to the top. And, and then he said, now is the jar full? And, and they weren't quite sure now. You know, they'd been burned twice. And he, but they said, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's full now. So then with a flourish, he pulled out water. And... This is where it gets messy. And it was amazing how much water he could still get into this jar. Yeah, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. I do have a towel, but you, you get the idea. So he filled it you know, right up to the top, and he said, now it's full. Thanks, Doug. And, and then he asked, his, the participants, what's the point? And they thought about it a little bit, and then one of them said, well, you know, I think it is that our, our, our lives are so full, but, but as a result of this time management seminar, we're going to find out ways to fit a few more things than we thought we could into our lives. <laughs> and the presenter said, no, that's not it at all. The point is that if you don't get the big rocks into the jar first, You'll never get them in at all. What are the big rocks in your life as you think about this fall? While we're on this topic of time management, um, another time management leader is Stephen Covey. And uh, while he's no spiritual guru that we follow at this church, he has said some helpful things. And, and one of the famous things that he said that you may be familiar with is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Isn't that good? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So what's the main thing that you've got to keep the main thing? What is that biggest rock that if you don't get it into the jar first, it's never 
going to get in. As we begin another busy fall together and our schedules quickly fill up with activities and, and commitments, we're going to have to resolve right now to keep the main thing the main thing, to get those biggest rocks into the jar or else we're never going to get them in, right? Well, this passage that we're looking at this morning is one which give, gives us answers as to what the main thing is. This passage compares us to branches of a grapevine. And if you know anything about grapevines, then you know that the grapevines have only one purpose. They uh, cannot be pruned to make an attractive shrub in your front yard. They can't, the wood can't be used to, to build anything with or to make furniture with. It, it's not even good wood for burning. Grapevines only do one thing well, and that's making grapes. And in the time and place that Jesus lived, the grape harvest was, was one of the most joyous times of the year. I, I mean, the wheat harvest and the barley harvest were good. That meant grain to, to make bread to survive for another year. And the olive harvest was, was good too. That meant olive oil for baking and for cooking to make your food more tasty, to give you more options. But the grape harvest was perhaps the most joyous of all because in a day where people ate mostly simple, plain foods most of the year, the grape harvest meant fresh, sweet fruit to eat, not to mention juice to make wine. And throughout God's word, God had a habit of, of comparing his people to a grapevine. In fact, commentators say that in the Old Testament, the grapevine is the most common image for God's people. It's found on old Jewish coinage. It's found actually in the decorations of, of the temple and um, as well as in scripture. Now, there's a lot of places in scripture we could look at. I'll just point out one as an example. Psalm 80, starting in verse 8, the psalmist prays to God, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land, a vine. Then this psalm goes on to lament the fact that God has since punished his people. Verse 16, your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. You see, as, as I said, grapevines are only good for one thing, fruit. If they're not producing fruit, they're not good for anything at all. And throughout the Bible, whenever God comes to his vine looking for fruit, it always seems that there's no fruit at all. Or, or if there is, the fruit is small or it's sour or it's rotten. And it's in that context that we need to hear Jesus' words in John 15. I am the true vine, Jesus says. Jesus will succeed where his people in the past have failed. Then he adds to his followers, and you are my branches. If you remain in me, and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? Well, if you're a grapevine or one of its branches, the main thing is to bear lots of good fruit. Now let's stop and, and think about this. Throughout history, God has viewed his people as a grapevine, intended to bear fruit. That fruit, if you read the relevant passages throughout the Old Testament, was 
to be faithful to God, to, to worship and, and to love God as the only true God, to reflect God's character as they kept his commands and became like him, to care for the poor and needy, to protect the vulnerable, to deal justly and, and lovingly with their neighbor, to provide justice for the oppressed, and, and, and so to be a light and a witness to the nations, to teach the nations God's law and, and, and about the true God and, and his character and to extend God's blessings to the whole world. That was the fruit. But, but time and time again, when God came to his grapevine looking for that fruit, he found that God's people had failed to produce it. And now Jesus has come and said, I am the true vine who will really produce the fruit that God has always intended his people to produce. But I don't intend to do it alone. Rather, I intend to do it with and through those who follow me. In fact, if you look at the context in which John 15 falls, it falls right in the middle of a long talk that Jesus is having in the book of John in an upper room with his disciples on the eve of his arrest and betrayal and crucifixion. He's told them that he's leaving them. In the middle of, of a fruitful and a powerful ministry, Jesus says he's about to be put to death. One of his company, or one of their company, he says, is going to betray him. Another key leader in that community, small community of his disciples, is going to deny him three times. The others are going to be scattered. Jesus says, though, don't be discouraged. And he comforts his disciples. He says, I will come to you again in the person of my Holy Spirit. And you will carry on my mission after me to bear fruit. I am the vine and you are the branches. You will be my witnesses. You will be my blessing to the nations. It will not be easy. Actually, they'll treat you much like they're going to treat me. You will be rejected. You will be persecuted. You will be hated because of me. But yet, despite it all, you will bear fruit, Jesus tells them. My people may have failed in the past, but now I will produce the fruit that God has always been looking for, and I'll do it through you. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And if Jesus is the true grapevine, and if we are his branches, then the main thing for him and for us is to produce good and abundant fruit. And that's what Jesus says, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And back up in verse 6. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So two questions. What is this fruit that we're supposed to be bearing? And how in the world do we produce it? Well, the fruit is an image. It's a metaphor, right? And, and the nature of an image is that we can't nail it down decisively to one thing. I images, by their very nature, are evocative. They're, they're open-ended. And so fruit can be a lot of things. Fruit is, is the fruit of the Spirit. It, it's you coming to be less critical of others, of learning to hold your tongue, of, of becoming more gentle in the way you respond. 
more generous toward those in need. Fruit is, is that person who comes to follow Jesus in part because of your influence in their life. Or that person who grows in their faith due to your encouragement. Fruit is the way you, you show up at work or, or the way you, at home or in your neighborhood, you, you find ways to put your energy and your influence and your abilities into, into making things better for others, not just better for yourself. Fruit is all of those things and more, but, but let's focus particularly on what Jesus has to say in this passage about fruit, which might give us an idea of what specifically he has in mind here. So three things that I see in this passage. First, down in verse 7, Jesus tells us that fruit includes answers to our prayers. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Much of the fruit that we are called to bear is beyond our ability and strength. It requires God's divine intervention. I've been so aware of this recently. What God is calling us to as a church is way beyond our abilities. The lives that he wants to touch. The, the broken hearts that he wants to heal. The people he wants to set free. The lives he wants to rebuild. It, it, it's way out of our league. Even if we all had a counseling degree, we would still be stretched to the max. The fruit is only going to come if we beg God to do it. Second, in verse 12, we see that bearing fruit also involves loving each other to the point that we lay down our lives in love for one another. Jesus says, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you. After all, that's the kind of fruit that Jesus produced, didn't he? It's the fruit that forever changed the world. And as we produce this fruit too, it's how the world will know that we are his disciples and that he is real. I mean, let's remember what kind of fruit Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about pineapples, right? He's talking about grapes, which in that culture were, were largely squeezed to produce the blood of the grape, as it's called. That, that symbol that Jesus drew on at this table of communion, right? The, the fruit of the vine, his, his blood poured out in love for the world. Jesus is the true vine producing fruit, crushed, bleeding for the world, in, in love, his blood washing away our sins, restoring our relationship with God. And we're invited to love as he loves, to lay down our lives for others. And Jesus promises, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So third, joy, that's part of the fruit too. Not, not the kind of joy that we find in this world, but a joy which blossoms on the far end of sacrificial love. Now, sure, it can be an agony to give your life for others, to get squeezed and crushed. But Jesus promises that on the far side is joy. And if we can't trust him in this, we can't trust him in anything else. The resurrected Jesus is tasting this joy now. And he promises that, that if we follow his example and we lose our lives in love, we will find life and we will find joy too. 
Have you experienced this? You die to yourself, you, you give up something that, that in your selfishness you wanted, and you find yourself that winding up experiencing greater joy and greater life. I'll tell you one example that comes to mind for me was, was the transition from single guy to married man and then to father of one, two, three, four children. <laughs> and each step of the way, there were more wills in conflict with my will. And there were more needs competing with my needs. And sometimes I did, I still do, get into defensive mode and I try to, try to, try to hold on to my needs and my wants. But, but again and again, I've found that as I've chosen to freely sacrifice some of that for the good of those that I love, it, it may hurt for a while, but in the end, eventually, there's a joy, there's a satisfaction, there's a love, there's a connection that I hadn't had before. Life really is found in laying down our lives for others. All right, so that gives us some idea of the, what the fruit is supposed to be or the, what the fruit is that Jesus says we're going to bear. But how in the world do we produce it? Answer, we can't. Right? We can't produce the fruit. We can't produce the fruit any more than, than a grape branch all by itself is going to produce grapes. It's not going to happen. We've got to stay attached to the true vine. Now, I had an interesting experience a few back, years back. Do you remember that big early spring ice storm that we had that was so devastating because the buds had already come out on the trees and, and the ice was so heavy forming on all those buds and it tore down branches and it knocked down trees. And several of those trees had fallen in our backyard and it was a week or two before, or branches, and it was a week or two before I got around to cleaning them up. And, and, and you'll never guess what. When I, when I got to those branches, the leaves on several of those branches had bloomed. They, they hadn't bloomed when they fell down, but, but now there were leaves on these branches. And these branches were lying on the ground unattached. Evidently, there was still enough life in those branches to let them keep growing for a while. But guess what? There's no way that those branches were going to continue growing, right? <laughs> It was inevitable that sooner or later they were going to wither up and die, and that's just what they did. Because they were disconnected from the life of the tree. And Jesus says the same is true of us. If we disconnect from the vine, we may perk along for a little while, showing signs of life, but it's just a matter of time before we wither up and die. Jesus makes it crystal clear in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. Now, don't take this hard. Don't get your feelings hurt because Jesus actually said this of himself back in John 5.30. He said, by myself, I can do nothing. Even Jesus couldn't do anything by himself. Jesus had to keep drawing on the life of his Father in heaven. He said only what he heard the Father telling him to say. He did only what he saw the Father doing. 
Apart from the Father, Jesus could do nothing. And apart from Jesus, he tells us, you can do nothing either. Now, when Jesus says we can do nothing, he's, he's talking about bearing fruit. I mean, there's plenty of other stuff we can do, right? We can, uh, without Jesus, we can earn degrees. We don't need his help there. We can, um, we can raise families. We can, we can nurture the talents of our children, get them a great education. We can develop a social life that's perhaps satisfying. We can accomplish great things. We, we can build impressive ministries even without Jesus. But ultimately, none of this by itself, done apart from the vine, is the kind of fruit God is looking for. By itself, it's not the kind of fruit that glorifies God. It's not the kind of fruit that lasts. Because the kind of fruit that, that matters to God, that actually transforms lives for eternity, it's the kind of fruit that, that points beyond ourselves to, to the goodness and, and the greatness of the God who enabled it. it, it it's fruit that, that has an often subtle but a definite supernatural element. The kind of fruit that God is looking for comes only in answer to prayer. Or, or, or it's only that, that mysterious, that, that enticing, that unexplainable life and joy that comes from actually laying down our lives in love for others, which in itself is enticing and mysterious and points people to God. This kind of fruit is foreign to the world. It doesn't add up by the arithmetic of the world. And so this fruit, when the world sees it, it's attractive. They have... They have a sense of, of mystery, of, of awe, of there's something greater here. Let me go over and see this. Something more, something beyond this life, something they haven't experienced before. And we cannot produce this fruit on our own. But we do have a role to play. And our role, Jesus says, is to remain in the vine, the source of divine life. So second question We've talked about the fruit, but, but how do we remain in Jesus? How do we remain? Well, literally this word remain or abide, as, as it is in other translations, means to stay or to dwell. Way back in the beginning of John's gospel, in the first chapter, verse 38, Andrew and another disciple used this word when they asked Jesus, Rabbi, where are you staying? Where are you remaining? Where are you abiding? And then they go and they stay, they remain with him, John tells us. And so for Jesus' first disciples, to remain with Jesus was just to follow him and to keep following him, to be where he was. But, but now Jesus is going away. He's, he's leaving them, and, and he still wants them to stay, to remain with him. But, but how do they do this now once he leaves? Well, remaining now, since Jesus has left, is at the same time very simple and very deep and profound. On the one hand, it's simple to remain. We, we just keep believing. We keep following. We keep trusting. We keep obeying Jesus. But on the other hand, it's also deep and it's profound to remain because to remain is to be so related to Jesus that, that we're like a branch connected to the vine, drawing our very life from him. And, and so a couple of examples of this remaining. First, if part of the fruit 
that God is looking for us to bear is answered prayer, then remaining in the vine is going to involve praying. We're not going to have answered prayer if we don't pray. And so not just rattling through our laundry list of requests, but, but seeking God's heart and, and, and seeking God's will so that we have some confidence as we, as we pray as to what sort of prayers God is delighted to answer. Notice how Jesus puts it in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's as we stay close to Jesus, as we let his words remain in us, and it's then that, that what God delights to do becomes the kind of thing that we want to ask for and that God answers and then bears fruit. Second example of remaining. There's, um, there's the fruit of love, right? The sacrificial love, a love which ironically flowers into joy. But, but who can love like this by themselves? Not me. But, but notice what Jesus says in verse 9. Before he commands us to love, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. It's as we reflect on, as we come to appreciate and experience the love that God has for us, that Jesus has for us, that love begins to spill over from us into the lives of others. Bearing fruit. So remaining involves remaining in Jesus' love. Well, this matter of remaining is a, is a, is a bigger topic. We, we've just touched on it. It's so big, in fact, that we're actually going to spend the whole fall on it. If you have your bulletin, why don't you pull out this folded over sheet here. It has our nice new church logo on it in the background. Um, and if you don't have one of these, you can pick one up. Um, hopefully, the ushers had some extra and can put them on a table in the foyer afterwards. As you know, if you've been around CBC for a while, we have 10 spiritual growth goals that we're pursuing together as a church. And on this sheet, I've, I've called them spiritual growth practices. And what I've done on this sheet is I've organized these 10 practices around our mission as a church, knowing God, growing together, showing Christ. So there's an upward component to that mission, which involves knowing God. And you'll see at, at the top section there, a few upward-oriented Spiritual practices like prayer and Bible and taking time for spiritual self-examination. And then on your left-hand side, there's the inward direction of our, our mission, which involves growing together in our relationships with one another. And there's two inward practices there, making disciples and using our spiritual gifts to serve one another. And then on the right-hand side, there's that outward direction of showing Christ and the practice of outreach. But undergirding all of that are the other four practices, which are, are really foundational practices. And there's two of them that I think most of us are pretty familiar with. Uh, one is loving relationships, and that's just our, our three-part mission, growing in that upward relationship with God, that inward relationship with one another, and that outward relationship toward others, and, and keeping those in balance and, and growing in love in those three areas. The, the second foundational practice there is um, basic Christian beliefs. And we just spent the summer going through those, working on those, right? And those both um, 
are things that I, I feel like we've begun to get a handle on together as a church. And so this fall, I want to work on those other two on the right-hand side, life rhythms and, and following Jesus daily. And, and both of those have to do with remaining because remaining has two aspects to it. I mean, how did Jesus remain in the Father? Well, on the one hand, he drew away for special times alone with God. And on the other hand, he, he remained close to God all the time, day by day, moment by moment. So the first spiritual growth practice that we'll work on this fall has to do with those special drawing away times to remain. And we're calling that life rhythm. That's, that's, that's a rhythm of, of times of, of work and ministry and hopefully bearing fruit on the one hand, but then also times or seasons of, of drawing away for rest and, and refreshment and, and deeper remaining in Jesus. Next Sunday, I'm going to be away at the men's retreat, but, but the three weeks after that, we're going to be focusing on this practice of, of life rhythm and unpacking that and looking at that together. Then later in October and November, we're going to move on to this last foundational practice of following Jesus, which is this daily, moment by moment, day by day, remaining in Jesus through the day. Okay, so that's the plan for this fall. And um, it'd be good to keep these sheets handy. Maybe tuck them in your Bible. Make sure you, you get one of these. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And Jesus tells us that the main thing is to bear fruit. And he tells us that we can't bear fruit unless we remain in him, the vine. Remaining, that's the big rock that's got to get into our jar before it gets filled up with all sorts of other things. But before I close, there's, there's one other thing that's involved in bearing fruit besides remaining. And that's pruning. And this is where God the Father comes in. Jesus says the Father's the gardener, the vine dresser in verse 1. The Father's the one who has his hand on the vine and on its branches, inspecting it, looking for fruit. Branches that don't bear fruit, Jesus says, are cut off and they're thrown into the fire. Branches that do bear fruit, the Father prunes to make them more fruitful. When we lived in British Columbia, um, we had a couple grapevines in, in the um, backyard of our townhouse growing along the wall, which was really great. Um, and, and I loved those vines. They were huge. They, were, they, they grow like crazy. They took up the whole fence. Um, and these aren't them, but they were something like this, just, just really bushy and, and prolific. Um, and every time I'd trim them, trim them back, they'd just grow more leafy and more lush. But unfortunately, the grapes were few and kind of sour. <laughs> Well, I wanted good grapes, and so I started seeing what I could learn about grapes and grapevines. And one thing I noticed when I'd pass a vineyard along the way was that, that the vines in the vineyard were, were kind of stubby and gnarly and, and, and full of grapes. <laughs> um, and so as I was reading up on grapes, I, I realized how important pruning is. And what I realized was that I had not been nearly ruthless enough in cutting back those leafy vines. If I wanted good grapes, I needed to really drastically cut back all that beautiful, prolific, leafy growth until there was almost nothing left. And that's the role of the Father. He prunes us. He cuts us back. Gulp. <laughs> 
Now here's where um, the rhythm comes in. Notice the shape of the pendulum, which reminds us of the, the back and forth rhythm. There's a time for bearing fruit, and then there's a time, there's a season for being pruned back in order to bring about a new season of bearing even more fruit. Have you ever been pruned? Have you ever had your ministry taken away for a time? Have you ever been through trials and, and difficulties which brought out the worst in you? Or, or, or sapped all your energy and, and your strength and you had nothing left to serve God like you knew you wanted to? Maybe you were being pruned. You know, Jesus says in verse 3 that this pruning involves Jesus' word. He tells his disciples that they are already clean because of the word that he's spoken to them. And the Greek word translated clean here in verse 3 is the same word translated pruned in verse 2. Same Greek word. Jesus' word cleans. Jesus' word prunes. And I think part of the role of Jesus' word in that pruning process is that Jesus' word helps us to see that our losses and our trials and our difficulties and our failures, it helps us to see what they really are, what they're really for. They're not just, that they're not just maybe senseless suffering, but maybe they're the hand of the gardener pruning us back so that in the future we can experience greater fruitfulness. Jesus' words remind us that the gardener is never so near the vine as when by his hand, his own hand, he prunes it. So yes, there are times when we're, we're being pruned, when, when we don't bear much fruit. And, and at times like that, we might fear that we're just a worthless branch and we're going to get picked up and thrown into the fire, but, but that may not be it at all. It, it, it may just be that... that it's a season of being pruned. We just need to make sure along the way that we are remaining in the vine all the time and that we can trust that after the gardener does his work, we'll grow again and the fruit will come again in abundance. You see the rhythm there? If you want to go further into this, we'll discuss it more, try to make it practical in the discussion group at 11.15 in the foyer today. But for now, let's